Hello and welcome to Virtually Relevant. This is Eric. This is Kevin. And this is episode 31. Uh, looks like Oculus is just one behind us because they are coming out with version 30 of their firmware. Yeah, they are. And they have been they have been on a roll. They've been putting out a lot of interesting features. This one may be a little bit less groundbreaking than the last couple, but still uh, some interesting stuff. Kevin, you want to talk about what all is coming in this new release? Yeah, sure. And uh, just to go back on that... Uh... Let's see. They have released version 28.29, and they're talking about soon to be releasing 30 within like the next week or two. And this has all happened in about a month and a half, two months. So yeah, they have it's been a very aggressive time. Yeah, frame. they have been pumping these out, and <laughs> it's it's very surprising. And but we 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 definitely love every everything that they have coming out in these updates so yeah that is that is one thing i will give them full credit for since they released the quest is they have extracted every bit of coolness they can get out of existing hardware by just pumping out amazing and and uh experimental features through their firmware updates and that has been something that i have liked very very much the the quest Two is a, a very different beast than the original Quest launch with um, Air, even with just Link. I mean, Link, you know, and then Air Link and uh, all of these different features that have come out. So yeah, for sure. And what's what's new? But yeah, so Oculus version thirty is on the horizon. A uh, couple of big uh, kind of things that they're talking about here is. One being multitasking. So on your Quest 2, you will actually be able to open up, uh, I believe it's three tabs that you can, kind of like how on your PC you can open up, you know, a couple different tabs and uh, uh, split your screen in half. Or if you're running 4K, you can put in in quadrants, four quadrants, you know, uh, right. and, and everything. Uh, so you'll be able to do that on Quest 2. Uh, but, you know, I haven't really heard anything about for uh, Rift or Rift S. I'm... Yeah, weirdly, that, that just seems to be falling by the wayside. Now, notably with the multitasking at the moment, it's just the 2D OS level apps like the browser and the store and so forth. But this dovetails nicely with another leak we've heard internally that they for Facebook employees, in some cases, are allowing them to sideload uh, Android applications and run those in the 2D environment. And suddenly that becomes very interesting if you're actually doing you know, productivity type things in a, a multitasking environment inside the headset. That sort of thing makes the uh, you know, a Bluetooth mouse and a Bluetooth keyboard a lot more interesting if you're actually using full-on Android apps in a multitasking environment. That but, Yeah, and, and it kind of helps lead into that whole kind of th they've they're working on this infinite office and so right we're, we're kind of seeing it all basically come together in little parts and pieces uh, yeah so yeah and i mean that's i'm actually kind of appreciative that we get to see the work in progress that this is a an iterative thing and i mean there's even things that are very half-baked like the the desk update where you could trace out your desk 
I mean, it was cool getting to see what it was, but it was essentially not really functional for, for general use quite yet. And I think you're going to see a lot of that on uh, on things like this. So the multitasking, if you're just using the, the core two-dimensional uh, OS apps, that doesn't really buy you much. But um, if that dovetails into being able to run Android apps in general, uh, that then it suddenly does start sounding like uh, an a productivity tool. Or if you start being able to use this over Link and, and bringing in, um, I mean, I guess you already can with virtual desktop. You can uh, pin multiple uh, desktop windows within the, the home environment over Link. Mm-hmm. So, But unfortunately, you can't use your keyboard or your mouse or desk mode over Link. So, I mean, all these things aren't quite meshing together yet. But you can see where they're going. And they had that, what was it, Oculus Connect 6, where they had their sort of vision video for Infinite Office. Yeah, they definitely touted it, you know, a, a, a while back, and overall, they didn't really say too much about it. But you know, right? But I mean, their their vision is that you should be able to use, you should be able to work within the headset as you know, not only equally productive to what you do in your office now, but more productive. Have you know colleagues ghosted in with you and for virtual meetings, and have you know giant monitors with different things on it. And I mean, you're seeing the pieces of that coming in just sort of one at a time. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful that when it all comes together, it actually is as uh, effective as they want it to be. But it's it's neat seeing the pieces of it as it goes. Yeah. It's, so what else is in uh, V30? Yeah, it's still definitely a work in progress, but they're definitely making it oh, very much. Uh, but very much. also in the the pipeline is AirLink on the original quest one uh which right. i'm 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 actually pretty excited <laughs> cause i think we're gonna kind of touch into this on a few other things later on but i love oled displays and so yeah. that that is something that i'm kind of excited about is trying AirLink on quest one specifically because of their oled displays because as i mentioned when i uh a good while ago when I talked about uh, Half-Life Alex, oh, mm-hmm. like the first half of the game is in a very dark area. It's very dimly right, lit. Right, right. And yeah. like, it was so disappointing seeing just kind of everything in this haze on when I was trying it on the Quest 2 when, with, over right. Link. Um, yeah. And and again with uh with when Airlink came out, messed around with it again, but you know it just the 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 OLEDs can really help you get sucked into the whole experience when it really is dark and overall you don't really need that much light because you know it's kind of like a movie theater everything else around you is dark right. anyway you're so. Yeah, and that that battle between L L C D and OLED has been going on since, you know, the, the DK one, DK two days. And um it, it had seemed like things were all tipping in an L C D direction for cost and because you get some uh resolution advantages and so forth, but we're we're seeing interesting things. We'll get back into that later on. Uh there there may be other contenders in the OLED headset market. Yeah. Uh, so next on the list, we have mic swapping abilities to kind of kind of fits right. in a little bit with the the multitasking. Um, so 
we actually discovered this problem very early on, Eric, <laughs> when yes. we got into a party together on the original yes. Rift. And for, let's see, what, what was it? Uh, I had ended up, or you had ended up leaving the party. Uh, right. But in the system, I was still in like the party group. And then when we were trying to talk to each other, we just couldn't hear each other. And right. Because your stuff was, your mic was going to the party chat, the party chat. Whereas Williams and my mics were going to the in-app chat Mm -hmm. and which was very frustrating. And (laughs) like, you know, it took us a good while before I happened to close out of the party, essentially, essentially taking myself out. And yeah, I, I think at that time we had actually given up <laughs> on trying to yeah, find out what was had. going on. And then that kind of flipped the switch of the, the light bulb in my brain. Oh, OK, that's that's why I couldn't hear because right. we were stuck in party. But now with the mic whipping, when you are in a party, you can just go into your settings and you can swap back and forth yes. basically on the fly of switching between your party chat. And, and well, so that's, that's the other thing is if you're in party chat, it turns off your mic while you're in games. So, right. You know, so, so now you can swap back and forth on, on that. Right. I I imagine this is going to take some refinement and some, some UI magic to make a, uh, a seamless, uh, experience, but, um, yeah, that goes a long way towards solving some of the usability problems where, you're linking up in a party and then jumping into an app that has in-app chat. And then we've got ones that, that deliberately don't because they don't want, you know, people like swearing in front of kids or what have you. But, you know, you're with your friends and you want to be able to communicate. Like, uh, what's the what's the cooking game? The cookout one. Uh, uh, that I'm one has sure. no in-app chat. But if you go in with a party chat, then you can talk to each other that way. So, um, but if we jumped into, say... Uh, you know the the miniature golf walkabout mm-hmm. then you know if we were meeting up with someone in there we would need to jump into the app chat and and share that way so uh progress is just solving a uh a long-standing challenge that uh, needed to be addressed yeah uh another long-standing challenge something interestingly that you saw in the very early days of the DK1 and the DK2, but then kind of got abandoned for a while. And it's it's unfortunate that William's not here with us this episode uh, because, oddly, a, a surprising number of people in the, the Houston VR meetup have some form of colorblindness. And uh, I would love for William to try out the, the new accessibility tab that they're bringing in in version 30 to see uh, how effective that is. But they're trying to set it up so they can override the color settings within the apps to make things that are indistinguishable, more clearly distinguishable for people who are red, green, or uh, what is it, yellow, blue, colorblind? Oh, yeah, I believe so. I don't quite remember all the the different variations that they have. Right. And this is part of a a broader accessibility uh, push. Uh, One of them is, you know, if, if people have... You know, if they're confined to a wheelchair or what have you, or just prefer not to stand up for whatever reason, you're tired, you've had a long day, uh, being able to bump up your uh, perspective as if you were standing, even though you're sitting uh, for games that assume that you're standing. Uh, 
I imagine that'll have some side effects. And I think you can override it as a developer and say it's not allowed in a particular app. But um, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, aspect of all this to address and uh, may have knock-on effects. We had a, a great talk from Alchemy Labs at one point where they were talking about accessibility and they talked about what they call the curb cut effect. They said that when the Americans with Disabilities Act came out, they mandated that all sidewalks had to have cuts through the curbs, little ramps down onto the street so that people with wheelchairs could get up and down them more easily. And it turned out to have incredible knock-on effects for people who weren't in wheelchairs, who were, you know, rolling uh, dollies and carts or riding bikes and skateboards and things like this. And uh, that's often true of accessibility. You don't think about things where that feature that is helpful to someone with some sort of limitation is actually helpful for everyone. Mm -hmm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see that. That's a standing seated swap. If they make that uh, easily toggleable, that could be a, a very interesting thing for people, even if they, they don't have mobility limitations that prevent them from standing. That they do, yeah. Uh, and, and another one on there was... Uh, yeah? Uh, well, I, I mean, for like the the, the accessibility is uh, going back to your curb comment. Yeah. Even say people, well, elderly and people with yeah, uh, sure. uh, like crutches or something. You know, it, you know, it, it just makes right. it easier. Definitely have to give a, a little shout out to the... Oh, I, I can't quite remember it, but the developers of Moss, who later in yeah. came in and added that uh, the main character will actually talk to you through American Sign Language. So e right, even yes, though I don't yes. know it, I don't use it. You know, I I just think that that's pretty neat. That was really cool. Yeah. No, it's it's exciting seeing people take this into consideration, and I, I wish more people would. But I'm very happy that with the, the colorblind settings that you end up with some things that are done at an OS level so that even if developers don't build with accessibility in mind, and some people do. I mean, like if you look at um, Beat Saber, it has a colorblind mode. Uh, some things that are, are color dependent do, but many don't, and by allowing some color remapping at the OS level, you can make apps accessible to people that, that otherwise wouldn't be. So I'm, I'm happy to see that being done. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, to see if it's like how difficult it may be as well with adding it in at the operating level versus, right. you know, hopefully they can just make it a standard from here on out that it can right. be something in, uh, in, in the app that they kind of maybe, you know, mandate that, you know, right. if, if you come out on, on Oculus, you know, that you need to add some kind of colorblind uh, form. They may it, well but, at some point. Yeah. Uh, and this, this kind of wraps into a, uh, the positives of, of being part of a, a, a large corporation like Facebook that has a focus on these issues. There are of course some, negatives to being tied into a, a big corporation like Facebook. And uh, there's one that has, has hit in just the past few days uh, that I'm, I'm actually surprised by how wide ranging the response is to it. I was actually pumping gas at a gas station today and got told that Facebook is testing out ads in VR uh, with, with very ominous undertones. <laughs> and given that ads have been Facebook's bread and butter since day one, uh, this this struck me as you know breaking news. Sky is blue, grass is green. <laughs> Facebook will uh, Facebook. Yes, Facebook will Facebook, and I mean it's 
the only shocking thing is that they waited as long as they did to start this process. Um, I mean, that's that's always been their business model. And to, to expect that in VR they were just going to radically change that is, I think, a little naive. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that a lot of people were so negative early on about Facebook acquiring Oculus and uh, the, the original founders all sort of falling out in favor of it getting absorbed into the, the Oculus Borg. But I guess the there's kind of two layers of concerns to this as I see it. And, and uh, Kevin, you're welcome to take it whatever direction makes sense to you. But I mean, in the current sense, the fact that it is tying into the existing Facebook ecosystem that already, if you have a Facebook account, knows about your relatives, your likes, your dislikes, your browsing habits, uh, and so forth. And then connecting that into your VR habits is... Uh, a little bit uh, unsettling and then perhaps more concerning is as we progress to like the next generation of headsets we have eye tracking and pupil dilation tracking and you know depth of field and focus and so on we're, we're going to be able to much more accurately understand your physiological response to things you're seeing and, and read things into that, whether you're happy about something or stressed about something. Uh, and when you pair that up with either the ads they're serving or the types of ads they choose to serve for uh, political purposes or just for corporate marketing purposes, that all becomes awkward and invasive, potentially. Which is, I, I get why people are wary of it in VR. And, and frankly, one of the main reasons I would very much like Facebook to have a, a serious competitor in the standalone VR space to the Quest. But the the fact that Facebook is being Facebook strikes me as not even surprising at all. And it's it's kind of funny to me that people are reacting as strongly as they are. Yeah, as if it's really what are, something what are your thoughts? new, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. For me, when I essentially got my Quest 2 and I found out that I absolutely had to link yes. my oculus account with my facebook account in order for <laughs> it to even be set up to use it from the very get-go you know i i actually put it down that day and yeah you know I did, like i hopped on the internet and did a little search you know i was like do you have to do this right like, i i had known that they had a, a policy that was in effect that like, if you had an Oculus account at that time, then you didn't need to link it for another, right. I think it was two years, I believe. Something like um, that, yeah. But I, I never came across the tidbit of information, though, that it was required to even use the quest two quest two uh, right you could grandfather in the quest one but not the yeah quest two. you know so uh so yeah i was in in the end like uh, i was a, a little wary about it even though uh, overall i didn't really care all that much uh i'm i'm right. not really really all that active on on facebook overall to begin with i, I use it for messaging and maybe yeah kind of keeping in contact with people here and there a little bit but overall not too much in the i have one post and one photo on my facebook account which was 
there was a, a demo uh, yeah. at Quest 4 <laughs> that required, that required you. you to have a Facebook account. And I actually stepped out of line and created <laughs> yeah. one so I could do it. And it automatically posted a photo to the, the thing. And that's, that's literally all that's on there. But I, I get the, the privacy concerns. And, and Facebook does not have a fantastic historical track record of being transparent about what they're doing and respecting users' privacy and so on because that's their bread and butter. That's how they make their money is gathering data about you and selling it to advertisers. So, um, And I mean, VR provides opportunities that are a little different. I mean, rather than just banner ads, okay, there's a, a can of soda on the ca- table. Is it a, a can of Pepsi or a can of Coke? You know, they can do these product placement things um, and, and actually sell those. And I mean, you know, each person going through it, we get a different experience. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not thrilled about it, but I'm also completely unsurprised by it. So the fact that it's generating waves at the level that it is, is sort of bewildering to me. But, um, but you can get your invasive advertising at, uh, $50 off of list price at Target. Uh, there's a, <laughs> Uh, there's a new $250 price point temporarily for a sale at uh, Target. And actually, by the time this airs, it'll probably be gone. Uh, not on, only on the 64 gig, not on the 256 gig. But uh, the the scuttlebutt in the the sort of retail supply chain is that that's going to be the new discount pricing when you hit holidays and so forth. That 299 price point is going to drop to 250. So, um, which is probably a, a compelling thing for a lot of people that are on the fence. But uh, it's it's already a heavily subsidized piece of hardware, so it's shocking. To, it was incredibly shocking to me when they were able to come out the three ninety nine price point for the Quest One, and the fact they've continued to whittle it down. Yeah, speaks both to the the corporate might of a, a giant behemoth doing uh, huge quantities, and the fact that they're willing probably to be doing loss leaders on the hardware to get people into the ecosystem and profit off the software. So, which has always kind of been the the console paradigm yeah and and do you know for sh- did you see the actual ad on at target or no i didn't okay i just i just saw the news articles about the ad why okay well because uh for the quest one uh you know yeah. what they did is initially instead of lowering the price they did a what was it like 25 dollar credit or 50 dollar right, credit a bundle you know right. to your uh to your Oculus account. So yes. that way, you know, as soon as you unpacked it, you know, you're not spending more. You're just using right. that extra credit. We, we've seen bundles know, so. with accessories and credit. So this is, I believe, the first time we've seen the price of a Quest drop below $299. So uh, they're, they're stretching into different territory. Yeah. So I, I would think that they would, go a little bit more for that instead of lowering the price of the hardware yeah. initially. Well, but. I imagine this is experimental. It's it's trying to see which is more effective. Uh obviously it's better for them if you pay a little more up front and then have credit because then you're you're bought in on the ecosystem and you're buying things, but there are people that are going to to be a hard no above a certain price point and I'm sure for some people 250 is within their their budget whereas 299 was not so it'll be interesting to see how often that comes around i suspect we'll see it on you know black friday and things like that yeah and you know there's there's definitely a psychological kind of game that goes on when it comes to seeing the price point 
of the actual price of, of things as well. You know, like uh, d- definitely, of course, with the Nintendo and uh, like yeah. right now the Switch, seeing that price point, yes. they just blow up and they they can. I, I assume this shelves. means. I assume this means that their supply chain issues are managed enough. Because I mean, I know they're having challenges with COVID and things like this with chip manufacturers. Uh, I guess this means they've gotten to the point where they have enough supply that they can juice demand a little bit this way. So we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see uh, what like the Steam statistics and so on say about uptake to see if this drove significant additional sales or whether it really didn't. Um, I I heard of uh, some other little bit of hardware, uh, some PSVR two news a little bit ah yes uh again not not a whole lot they're doling it out in little tidbits here and there but right. uh, apparently it is expected to launch christmas 2022 uh, right glad to finally have a date so um d- definitely for you know going along with their holiday type type release yeah. so everything i've seen on the psvr2 has said it is a really impressive bit of kit uh, to the point where even though I don't own a, uh, a PlayStation, a more recent than the PlayStation 2, <laughs> I may have to pony up because it is looking like a really cool piece of hardware. Uh, one of the things that is, I guess two things that are notable. One is that they're claiming now that it has OLED displays, which is something that was the standard for a while. And then everybody ran away from in favor of LCD and so if they're going back to OLED, because uh, it, it's, more, it's a more expensive option, but an option that has better blacks, greater color depth, and so forth, they may have found ways around some of the limitations or some of the cost constraints. Either that or they're just making this a, a premium product. I don't know. Um, but I know you're a big fan of OLED, Kevin. Yes, and, yes I am. Uh, uh, so that's probably good news for you. Uh, do you, do you have a PS Five? Uh, no, I do not. I've I, I've definitely been looking into it. I am a yeah. I am a Sony person. I I right. started out on the original PlayStation. Got the PlayStation Two, PS Three. <laughs> yeah, have my PS Four. Uh, I I I just haven't. I knew there was just so much around the the PS Five to begin with. You know, it's like right. I, I don't mind waiting around a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, and I think this whole whole kind of pandemic thing is is helping them a little bit with the, uh, allowing them to kind of take their a uh, little bit more time with it. Yeah. It, it, sure. It, it, the the PS Five is still extremely hard to get right now, uh, along with the the Xbox Series X. Um. So hopefully this has given them a little bit more time with it in order to help lower those costs and everything. Cause, and, and yeah, it, it will be interesting to see exactly which way this goes. If, yes. if, if they just basically dump every, like as much as they can into a, a few components, you know, and kind of right. maybe skimp out here and there on some other stuff to keep price down. Or like you said, if we, it, it'll be a more premium type thing. But it's it's been interesting because the original PlayStation VR was in many ways a, sort of a, a miracle of using fairly low end hardware all around to produce a better experience than you would think, given what you have. Um, I mean, the the PlayStation Four was not really 
powerful enough to to drive a, a high-end desktop VR experience, but they they still they optimize things. Um, they they made some different design choices on the types of screen, the types of lenses. They repurposed the old PlayStation Move controllers, which were, to put it kindly, not ideal for hand tracking, but were manageable, adequate, adequate. And they they produced something that was actually pretty decent, and it sold by VR standards from the time quite well. And the fact that Sony is going all in, I mean, they're really like doing this up nicely. If you look at the the the, the hand trackers they're building and uh, some of the stuff that's leaking out in the pipeline for the headset, this is going to be a nice piece of hardware. So they clearly believe that there's significant potential there, which for like a giant like Sony to give it that vote of confidence, I think is is very heartening um and the fact that they are choosing to aim a little higher on the, the hardware spec like the the hand trackers have got the kevin you're probably better with the terminology on this the the, the better haptics where they can actually do sort of analog adjustment of the feedback on the triggers and things like that what is the proper term oh uh now what they, they yeah they, they call their new controller the dual sense instead of right. the dual shock it's called the dual sense now Right, so it's it's incorporating the same tech from the DualSense controllers into the hand trackers, which would actually make it more advanced than pretty much anything on the market today. Um, so they're doing some cool things, and it's interesting they're going OLED because that is a more expensive, potentially better option if you can get past some of the limitations. Um, up until now, they've had to use Pentile. Uh, they've had um, resolution challenges, and the biggest challenge has been um, true black smearing, where you get sort of ghosting of bright objects if there's a high contrast edge and you move rapidly across it, such as turning your head, which has caused, um, you know, even when they did like the Rift with the OLEDs, they they never quite went truly black with it because mm-hmm. that transition took longer than like a gray to gray. Like black to gray took longer than gray to gray, which meant you got a, a sort of a smear or a blur when you had a high contrast edge. I'm hoping that they have... Um, solve that problem because there are many many things to love about oled and i would love to see it come back um but it is interesting they went for the the higher priced option on that yeah um and i'm I'm trying to remember i i believe the main player in oled technology right now is lg right e- even even uh sony's oled tvs that they have the OLED panels are actually LG yeah. OLED panels and, and right. their, their TVs. Unfortunately, they're difficult to produce and they're expensive to produce. And they've made headway on that. But uh, up until now, they have been the premium option. Yeah, and I've I've got an LG OLED TV uh, that is a, uh, let's see, a, a 2018 model or 2019 yeah. model. Uh, and I... I haven't uh, looked in too much to it, but uh, I know they've they've definitely made quite a bit of improvements in in the yeah. technology compared to their their current models. They're getting brighter. They're getting faster. So there's there's a lot of advantages. Potentially a wider color gamut, um, significantly greater contrast for HDR, uh, true blacks. So I mean, there's a lot to love if you can get past the cost. The sub-pixel arrangement issues, the max resolution issues, and the ghosting issues. Yeah, so, and, and I, I think that's a big part of it. Is LG hasn't has not slowed down with their yeah. their OLED manufacturing. 
So uh, again, like like Josh is always mentioning, the economy of scale. You know, right, so yeah. with with them getting this this technology out there more and more, that's causing you know others to pick it up a little bit more. So they're making more sales, you know, which right. just as a whole brings the price down. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think I think uh, in that sense, then OLEDs can definitely be a possibility. Yeah. So I mean, if if Sony does this and drives this forward in the VR space, others may follow, which would be very interesting. The other big leak on the PSVR two is uh, from a, a fairly good source. It's got a, a mid seventies rating on uh, accuracy is that uh, Sony's ordering a, a huge batch of a new type of lenses uh, for their, their headsets, which dovetails with the, the Christmas 2022 leak uh, for the launch. Um, but they're saying that also Oculus is doing the same thing, mm-hmm. which you got to read the tea leaves a little bit because Oculus has said that the Quest 2 is here for a while. They're not doing a Quest 3 anytime soon, but they're talking about a Quest Pro, which would imply higher capabilities, a higher price point. So I would not be at all shocked to see a Quest Pro in time for holiday 2022 as well. But let's let's talk lenses Absolutely. because they are a uh, an aspect of VR that is not often discussed in detail, but they can make a huge impact on your experience. A little overlooked, you may say. <laughs> yes, you might. You might. Um, they they actually went. They they did. Some, it's funny because lenses are something that are in many ways old tech. I mean, you're talking about uh, technology that was perfected uh, hundreds of years ago in some ways. Um, but we're trying to find ways to do it with lighter, cheaper elements where you're not using glass and, and fluorite elements that cost hundreds of dollars and add a lot of weight. Uh, you want to do something with inexpensive plastic elements that have a wide field of view, but... <laughs> There's always trade-offs in lenses. This is the this is the way optics works. The way physics works is all right. You you gain uh, reduced weight and reduced size, but you get some trade-off like increased chromatic aberration, where you get like color fringing along the edges of bright edges. Most of the headset manufacturers, with the exception of the PlayStation VR One, went with either Fresnel or hybrid Fresnel lenses. Uh, hybrid Fresnel being something I think totally new for VR where you sort of merged a traditional lens and a Fresnel lens. And Fresnel lenses have these sort of angular ridges to them. There's something that the the camera manufacturers played with for a while to reduce the weight and size and cost of camera lenses, but they all had trade-offs that in the end, for the most part, camera users were not willing to make. But for um, for VR headsets, they, uh, with the Quest, I guess the original Rift, the Quest, um, the uh, HTC Vive, pretty much everybody on the market has been using some form of Fresnel lens to reduce the size and weight of the elements. They're fantastic in the sense that they are lighter weight. You can use a single element or a single hybrid element as opposed to a sequence of lenses to reduce the cost and the weight and the distance. They have a large sweet spot, so you're not having to precisely position the headset in front of your eyes to get maximum clarity and the the biggest problem with traditional optics is you get what are what's called chromatic aberration especially towards the edges of the lenses where the colors all bend at different rates 
And so the the red and the blue and the green will all arrive at slightly different positions near the edge of the lens. You get color fringing. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, kind of like if whenever you put white light through a prism, how it yes, kind of what that is. It's the same sort of thing, and that's uh, that's greatly reduced with Fresnel lenses. So that's that's the the benefit, and that's the main reason why you see Fresnel lenses in so many of these headsets. There are negatives. Uh, the biggest negative, in my opinion, up to this point, has been what they call God rays. Uh, they're technically called crepuscular rays, where you have a, a bright, high contrast edge, so like a, a white logo on a black background, and you have sort of rays of light shining out at you like a light breaking through a cloud from the sun, um, which is kind of cool looking, but is unhelpful if it was unintended. And it is frequently unintended in VR. Very much uh, so. And you see it uh, to greater or lesser extents. It's, it's a little different between the HTC ecosystem and the, the Oculus ecosystem. With HTC, you get sort of um, concentric rings, whereas with Oculus, you get these, these very traditional god rays. Uh, but they're distracting and they are negative. And I mean, you can work around them by avoiding high contrast edges, but that that limits what you can do, which is annoying. Yeah, I, I think that was kind of the biggest surprise to people when the original Rift yes. and the Vive first hit the market because the DK2 had fairly regular lenses. Yes. Uh, so it did. so you you didn't really have that at all uh in, no. in the in the DK2. So right. So that was shocking yeah. to people that because it, it was very noticeable, extremely noticeable, especially because developers were developing on the DK2 without <laughs> anticipating that this would be quite so obvious. Um but I mean it was a they're reasonable trade-offs and people were living with those, but I think what we're beginning to see is there's a challenge, a physics related challenge. You've got these ridges in the VR uh, and the, the Fresnel lenses that you can only pitch so far apart and uh, at the maximum or the minimum pitch between them, they uh, they won't support a resolution higher than about 4K on the, the screen, which, which sounds kind of bizarre that you would have a, a resolution limitation on the lens, but if the, the pitch between the ridges is... Uh, made any lower than you end up with other artifacts and you have to make it lower in order to differentiate between the pixels so they don't blur together so if you want to actually get benefit out of higher resolution screens suddenly fresnel at least traditional fresnel lenses cease to be a uh, a reasonable set of trade-offs for vr so suddenly everybody is scrambling again to see what the next generation of lenses look like um and with them saying that they're ordering a stack of, of very new lenses for both the PSVR 2 and the probable Quest Pro, you start asking, are they, are these just sort of improved Fresnel lenses and we're still sitting at about a 4K resolution? Which is certainly very possible. It's very difficult to drive resolutions higher than that with current graphics hardware, especially on standalone. Uh, the, the XR2 headset, I believe, maxes out around there. And although the 888 Snapdragon chips may drive something higher, I don't think they've come out with an XR-specific variant of them, have they? Uh, no, no. There's Right. As far as we know, the, the XR2 is the only real VR-specific chip that they have out right now. And there's there's right. some rumors around a possible update, but... 
n- nothing really concrete and and there's no I mean, specs about it it's it's hard to keep chip manufacturing completely under wraps because it has such long lead times i don't rule out that they could have maybe done something in partnership with uh you know sony where they said okay we're not going to announce the new vr version of this until your headset launches but uh if that's the case i suspect leaks all over the place early next year um but okay what are the options and this is this is the thing it's like okay suddenly we're we're trying new things with lenses and optics which is very old tech that we've we're just pushing into service to do things that are beyond what they've ever been asked to do before. Um, So what are some types of lenses that get past some of the limitations of our standard lenses and Fresnel lenses? Um, And one of the the biggest ones, one of the most promising ones, is something called pancake lenses. Uh, Pancake because you sort of have layers of them stacked on top of each other, like pancakes stacked on top of a plate. Uh, And the idea is you put a a polarizing filter so that only half the light gets through uh, that's angled a certain way. And then you put a um, you know, reflective surface on the back of uh, each lens that only reflects a certain polarization. And then you can stack these lenses and you get the effect of having lenses that are further apart as it's bouncing backwards across the same path. And that's it's difficult to explain via audio. It's, it's easier if you have a diagram. But the the short upshot of that is if you stack lenses that way, for each additional lens you stack in a pancake formation, you can reduce the depth between your eyeball and the screen by 50%. But you give up 50% of your brightness. Now, a very notable thing is OLEDs can be made extremely bright if you choose to do that. (laughs) So you could potentially have the overhead to get rid of. So you're, you're trading some brightness for distance to make it a a more compact lighter weight shallower headset you can get a very wide field of view out of them up to 200 degrees uh, which is significantly higher than we see with current generation headsets but there's a trade-off a linear trade-off between the field of view and the savings on the depth so you could use pancake lenses on the existing form factor to get a much wider field of view or you could use the same field of view and get a much shallower headset. So it's going to be a question, if you go with pancakes, of where you're striking that balance. But potentially the most important thing with pancakes is it gets past the limitation of Fresnel's. There is no max resolution uh, with them uh, because you don't have those ridges. Mm -hmm. There's been clarity and cost challenges because it's it's difficult to manufacture high quality elements that do this. You almost always have to have a glass element in there, and glass is the best case. Uh, I mean, you're, in some cases with high end things, you're like working with uh, other elements, but or or uh, glass that's doped with other elements. That's not good for weight or cost. Um, pancakes have traditionally been used, at least in VR headsets, uh, in prototypes with pa- uh, micro displays. Uh, Kevin, you want to talk about? how micro displays work yeah so in a way in the in the broad picture there's not a whole lot different it's, it's just um the thing with micro displays is while they can be extremely small right. at a very high resolution so you could have a 4k resolution on a like an inch and a half by an inch and a half screen right. whereas before we've We've basically been using screens the size of, um, you know, high-end phone screens. Right. The main problems there is 
as you were, were referring to with the, the Fresnel lenses is because they were so small, the Fresnel lenses wouldn't be able to pick them up. It kind of all just be smushed together right. in a way. Right. The, um, the dot pitch is too tight and it's hard to blow them up to a reasonable size. And so if you just basically got micro displays and blew them up, then you're looking at some in absolutely insane resolution right. that no hardware could feasibly <laughs> r- really push. Micro displays are, are funky because they're not manufactured at all like traditional displays are. They're manufactured very much like chips are manufactured. And so as you know, the ability to create um, smaller and smaller chips with more and more detail on them advances, uh, the ability to create screens with higher detail and smaller spaces advances. And if you can get something that'll blow those up without ridiculous amounts of uh, distance between the the screen and the the eye, that becomes very appealing. Uh, You see micro displays. uh, I mean, there were prototypes like the image and uh, prototypes back in uh, 2017, maybe earlier, where, I mean, you only have like an inch, inch and a half between your eyes and the screen. And, uh, that's that's very cool. It's a very cool form factor. It's more, they're, they're, you know, obviously the the holy grail is something more like a pair of sunglasses that you put on, um, and this gets a lot closer to that. Traditionally, they've they've had a hard time producing lenses that could blow them up sufficiently, and micro displays that produced all three primary colors, like the Imagen ones, were either green or I think green and blue uh, for military purposes. So I mean, it's it's. Uh, up until now, it's been more like theoretical, but uh, the fact that there's a, a company called Copen that has come out with a pancake lens called the P95, uh, which has got a 95 degree field of view, which is smaller than most of the, the VR headsets that are out, but at least in the same ballpark, roughly in the same class, uh, but it has no glass elements. Uh, it has, I believe, two lenses and uh, they said they have one hardware partner that is actually planning to go to market with it. We don't know the details on that, but um, pancakes are definitely one class of lens that could get past the limitations of existing lenses uh, in exciting ways. Uh, we don't know what type of lenses either the PSVR or the Oculus Quest, presumably Pro, are, are using. They could just be hybrid Fresnels again with uh so like if you look at the, um, the half dome prototypes, those were Fresnel lenses or hybrid Fresnel lenses that had a, a teardrop shape and a significantly wider field of view. Um, greatly so on the, the half dome one prototype and then sort of a, um, a trade off between the depth of the headset and the field of view for the half dome two and half dome three prototypes. Uh, I think they landed on something that was about 20% wider in the field of view than the existing ones, um, but significantly shallower, lighter, and so forth, which could be a very interesting choice for moving forward. But you still have that about roughly about 4K per screen uh, limitation on on max resolution, which may be fine for the current generation, will eventually not be fine. Yeah, and the Half Dome 3 was definitely an interesting with how they plan to do their very focal yes. 
through the through the electronic means and I'm I'm wondering if that would cause any possible problems with different types of lenses or anything. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't yeah. know what limitations there are on the, the verifocal tech that they're using. I, I've got some slides from Michael Abrash from back in OC5, and I think it labeled both the pancake lens and the waveguide lens, which we'll talk about in a second, as being variable depth of field, which I think means they would com be compatible with what they're doing with. And we won't even dive into those, but I mean, just very briefly, when you look at something that's very close up, not only do you have to cross your eyes, you have to focus your eyes differently, which involves flexing the lens. That is something that current VR headsets don't do at all. Uh, but they have created a system that would do that in some prototypes. Uh, it requires very high quality eye tracking and some, some additional tech. Uh, if that landed in a, a Quest Pro, I would be very excited. Uh, but there's there's no hard information on what might or might not land in a, a pro model so we don't really know yeah it's all speculation right now it is very very much uh all we know is potentially cooler and more expensive would be the the uh implication of a pro naming and and the, most likely uh different lenses because like you mentioned yes. that they've come across this mass order by yes, oculus for new lenses we, we know that so. something is happening which involves significantly different lenses and large quantities so i mean something's coming out quest pro seems likely wider field of view seems likely we'll just have to see um the other big family of lenses that could potentially get past some of these limitations are called waveguides and they are completely flat they're they're wafer like and they've got sort of channels etched in them that the light comes down you see them in use in like the hollow lens in the uh the Magic Leap, a lot of AR stuff uses them because they're, they're clear for light passing through them from the real world, which has some real advantages. They have some significant disadvantages in their current implementations that aren't necessarily intrinsic to the tech themselves, but are at least limitations to how the tech is applied currently. Uh, one of the biggest ones right now is that most waveguides can only channel one color of light at a time. Uh, so you've got three layers of waveguides and you're having to sort of register the color between a red, a green, and a blue waveguide. And if you've ever used a HoloLens, if you move your head rapidly, you'll find that the, the three colors don't quite line up on fast motion, which is distracting. Uh, there are some prototypes that will do two colors. Uh, they'd be a lot more exciting if they did three. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Uh, in theory, you can get all the way up to 200 degree max field of view with waveguides. But uh, as a practical matter, uh, the HoloLens 1 had a very narrow field of view. Was it like 45 degrees, something like that? And Yeah, it was tiny. It was, it was very tiny. disappointing. It was, yeah, no, I mean, it was amazing in the field of view that it had, but the field of view was so tiny. And the, the HoloLens 2... It was a bigger field of view, but that was a fairly low bar to set. It, it still wasn't a very big one. Positive is no max resolution. In theory, you can get very wide. And the, the big positive is it's extremely thin. I mean, you could have it almost right up against your eyes. Uh, so waveguides could solve a lot of things, but no one has publicly announced a waveguide solution that really gets past all the big negatives. I'm trying to remember, is is a waveguide technology the the company that had the really, really thick glass to have kind of like the augmented reality look 
inside of of that glass panel? I don't know. That is that is a good question. Waveguides are they're fairly old tech, but they haven't been used the way that they're currently being used much. We're we're pushing optics to do things that we've never asked optics to do before, especially when we're considering do we want things to be inexpensive, lightweight, shallow depth. I mean, all these things that just they're traditionally all trade-offs. I mean, you can have one but not the other, and we're wanting to do them all. <laughs> so in a sense, it's exciting because it's forcing like a lot of pure science tech forward, but there still hasn't been a magic bullet so far as I know on, on waveguides. Although it sounds like this um, this Copen pancake lens at least gets past needing class elements, which would be a significant win. So... Those are the two big families, but there are oddball solutions out there. There are people doing radically different things. Uh, probably the biggest one for that is is Lynx. Kevin, you've looked sure. into that a bit, haven't you? Yeah, a little bit. Man, I've I've mentioned it before, but basically <laughs> the, the way I've always described them is that they almost look like a cut diamond. Just right. the, the, the way these things look is just weird. Um, I'll... I'll I'll be sure to to put a picture of it up when I when I edit it in the, yes, the little picture do. on on the app. But uh, so okay, let, let's let's see if I can say this right. <laughs> they, Lynx calls these lenses fourfold catadioptric freeform prisms. Yeah, that's that's the term that everyone's <laughs> going to use to talk about in the future. Yeah, I'm but... sure it just rolls off the tongue. It's easy to understand. <laughs> uh, they're thick i mean they're like yeah they're, maybe they an inch and a some, half thick but they can almost sit things. right on top of the um the screen and right up next to your eyes and i mean you can actually like create a, a mold and just like pour the acrylic in and, and i believe that's what they are are doing with their yeah. initial lenses is they're made out of an acrylic that they just pour yeah uh, pour into molds it's it's a radical thing because they've got these these four curves on the sides that are bringing things in, and the really wild thing is because it's bringing it all in from the sides to fill in the middle is nothing's coming through the middle. The middle's dead, which means if you want to stick a camera dead center, you can, and that's exactly what they're doing with the links because that's the perfect place that you want a camera that's pointing directly at your eyeball from the center, but normally you've got a lens in the way, so you're having to shoot through the lens, but you can actually drill a hole in it and put a, a camera right there in the center and you do no damage optically because it's not using the center at all, which is very, very cool. Um, can't imagine they're lightweight, but they are shallow depth. Uh, and the fact they've got that dead spot in the center for a camera is arguably a huge win. I mean, we're going to have to see it in action and try one, but it's a cool idea and it yeah. should be relatively cheap to produce. So, um, hooray for people doing radical things with, with lenses. Yeah. Uh, I, I know they're, they're definitely looking into possible different materials, uh, okay. b- besides the acrylic, uh, again, because like you said, these things are just massive and <laughs> yes. very thick. So that definitely adds in quite a bit of weight. So if And I'm curious because traditionally when you get like really thick lenses like that, because the different wavelengths of light travel at different speeds, the more 
material they're passing through, the more they separate, which means I would think this would have really wicked chromatic aberration, although maybe, I mean, in theory, you can correct for that in software. And maybe if they do that effectively enough, it's a non-issue. I don't know. But um, that's always been the, the secret songs with these is, I mean, you create really just nasty, cheap lenses that are horrible on paper, but are correctable in math. Uh, you just you create a distortion profile on the far side of the lens that corrects for all the things that happened in the lens, and then it lands in your eyeball and it looks fine, which is just magic. Uh, it's a, it's a brave new world, but uh, this this may fall in that same category. I don't know. I would I would love very much to try a lens. Yeah, for sure. It'll definitely be interesting to to try that out and and really yeah. see it with our own eyes. Of, Absolutely of, of how it all works and. And definitely with having basically that blind spot in the center that you can't see, but kind of kind of yeah. has this um, two-way mirror thing going on, right? Uh, with the the camera being right there, so it, it it will be interesting to interesting. see like if yeah. if they actually put put the camera in the lens itself, or yeah. if it'll if the camera will be sandwiched in between the lens and the display, or if they even find some way to possibly change the, the display itself, basically have a right. hole in the display to, you know, and have, right. Which is the theoretically possible for, for some display yeah. type. So I don't know. It's, it's, uh, there's, there are things that are possible in VR that just aren't possible or viable for other uses for display tech so i mean these are these are all possible directions you go and i mean and and we may yet get something else out of left field that somebody comes in with and and just revolutionizes the way we do this but those are the main families of uh solutions the the, you've got the fresnels and the hybrid fresnels you've got the uh pancakes and you've got the waveguides and then you've got these sort of oddball lenses like the the solid prism lenses so Hopefully, uh, one of those will pan out in exciting ways for for VR. We're 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 in a situation where 4K screens could probably get us through one more generation. So we may be able to coast along with more or less existing tech, just improved with uh, wider field of view, things like that. Uh, or we may make the jump now. We'll, we'll just have to see. So I guess 2022 will be an interesting year for optics and VR. Yeah, and it may end up that. It might be something that we haven't really quite talked about today, and they find yeah. some kind of weird combination. Because I, I know uh, one thing that's been toyed around with a little bit is instead of changing the lenses, is changing the displays by actually having yeah. possibly curved displays. Yes. And, yes. And yes, so yes. then you know, again, you're you're making the adaptations to the lenses for these possibly curved displays and right you know, the who, math is very complicated on the distortion profiles for that but i mean even like angled lenses or angled displays have have challenges but if you can get the math to work there's some very exciting things you can do with that and there are display texts that can be printed on curved surfaces you see it with like uh the samsung galaxy phones where they've got the curved edges and so on so you could actually create a uh, a hemispherical screen and that changes all of the possibilities of what you can do with the lenses so potentially exciting stuff and at the very least we'll be seeing something in 2022 with new lens tech um 
for both the PlayStation VR 2 and the Oculus Quest probably pro. Hopefully pro. Hopefully pro. All right. Um, Kevin, you got anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, let's wrap it up for this evening then, and we will talk to you next time. Uh, Stay safe. Do cool things in VR and tell us about them, and we will see you on the next episode. All right. See you, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Virtually Relevant. If you liked it, please consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app. It helps bring us up in the charts and makes us easier to find. If you'd like to support Houston VR and this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash Houston VR. Until next time, thanks for listening.